0: Of human bondage by William Somerset Maugham. Chapter thirty one, segment one. Hayward, after saying for a month that he was going south next day and delaying from week to week out of inability to make up his mind to the bother of packing and the tedium of a journey, had at last been driven off just before Christmas by the preparations for that festival. He could not support the thought of a Teutonic merrymaking. It gave him goose-flush to think of the season's aggressive cheerfulness, and, in his desire to avoid the obvious, he determined to travel on Christmas Eve. Philip was not sorry to see him off, for he was a downright person, and it irritated him that anybody should not know his own mind. Though much under Hayward's influence, he would not grant that indecision pointed to a charming sensitiveness." and he resented the shadow of a sneer with which Hayward looked upon his straight ways. They corresponded. Hayward was an admirable letter-writer, and knowing his talent, took pains with his letters. His temperament was receptive to the beautiful influences with which he came in contact, and he was able, in his letters from Rome, to put a subtle fragrance of Italy. He thought the city of the ancient Romans a little vulgar. "'finding distinction only in the decadence of the empire. "'But the Rome of the Popes appealed to his sympathy, "'and in his chosen words, quite exquisitely, "'there appeared a Rococo beauty. "'He wrote of old church music and the Alban hills, "'and of the languor of incense and the charm of the streets by night, "'in the rain, when the pavements shone, "'and the light of the street lamps was mysterious.' Perhaps he repeated these admirable letters to various friends. He did not know what a troubling effect they had upon Philip. They seemed to make his life very humdrum. With the spring, Hayward grew dithrambic. He proposed that Philip should come down to Italy. He was wasting his time at Heidelberg. The Germans were gross, and life there was common. How could the soul come to her own in that prim landscape? And Tuscany, THE SPRING WAS SCATTERING FLOWERS THROUGH THE LAND, AND PHILIP WAS NINETEEN, LET HIM COME, AND THEY COULD WANDER THROUGH THE MOUNTAIN TOWNS OF Umbria, THEIR names SANG IN PHILIP'S HEART. AND CASILI, TOO, WITH HER LOVER, HAD GONE TO ITALY. WHEN HE THOUGHT OF THEM, PHILIP WAS SEIZED WITH A RESTLESSNESS HE COULD NOT ACCOUNT FOR. HE CURSED HIS FATE BECAUSE HE HAD NO MONEY TO TRAVEL, AND HE KNEW HIS UNCLE WOULD NOT SEND HIM MORE THAN THE FIFTEEN POUNDS A MONTH WHICH HE HAD BEEN AGREED. He had not managed his allowance very well. His pension and the price of his lessons left him very little left over, and he had found going about with Hayward expensive. Hayward had often suggested excursions, a visit to the play or a bottle of wine, when Philip had come to the end of his month's money. And with the folly of his age, he had been unwilling to confess he could not afford an extravagance. End of Segment One Chapter thirty one, segment two. Luckily, Hayward's letters came seldom, and in the intervals, Philip settled down again to his industrious life. He had matriculated at the university and attended one or two courses of lectures. Kuno Fischer was then at the height of his fame, and during the winter had been lecturing brilliantly on Schopenhauer. It was Philip's introduction to philosophy. He had a practical mind and moved uneasily amid the abstract but he found an unexpected fascination in listening to metaphysical disquisitions. They made him breathless, and it was a little like watching a tightrope dancer doing perilous feats over an abyss, but it was very exciting. The pessimism of the subject attracted his youth, and he believed that the world he was about to enter was a place of pitiless woe and of darkness. That made him nonetheless eager to enter it, and when, in due course, Mrs. Carey, acting as the correspondent for his guardian's views, suggested that it was time for him to come back to England, he agreed with enthusiasm. He must make up his mind now what he meant to do. If he loved Heidelberg at the end of July, they could talk things over during August, and it would be a good time to make arrangements. The date of his departure was settled, and Mrs. Carey wrote to him again, She reminded him of Miss Wilkinson, through whose kindness he had gone to Frau Erlin's house at Heidelberg, and told him that she had arranged to spend a few weeks with them at Blackstable. She would be in crossing from Flushing on such and such day, and if he traveled at the same time, he could look after her and come on to Blackstable in her company. Philip's shyness immediately made him write to say that he could not leave till a day or two afterwards. "'he pictured himself looking out for Miss Wilkinson, "'the embarrassment of going up to her "'and asking if it were she, "'and he might so easily address the wrong person "'and be snubbed, "'and then the difficulty of knowing "'whether in the train he ought to talk to her "'or whether he could ignore her and read his book. "'At last he left Heidelberg. "'For three months he had been thinking "'of nothing but the future, "'and he went without regret.' He never knew that he had been happy there. Fräulein Anna gave him a copy of their trumpeter von Sackingen, and in return he presented her with the volume of William Morris. Very wisely, neither of them ever read the others present. End of Segment 2